You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hey listeners, it's Michelle with you again and I'm flying solo today. Well, sort of solo. I don't I don't have my amazing partner in podcasting, Mel Butcher, with me today, but I do have an amazing substitute seems to be such a poor word for this woman because she's pretty terrific. But I do have the absolutely credible, accomplished and confident Selena Rasvani with me today. Welcome to you. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I am a fan and just an admirer of your work. So thank you for your message. My pleasure. And today we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. But first, well, I'll give you a little blurb about who Selena is, and then I'm going to ask my world famous question. (laughs) I laugh because it's not really world famous. But (laughs) so in brief, Selena is an author, speaker and consultant on leadership. We're in the sisterhood of leadership here. Well, she's got a book coming up. She's got another couple of books already published. And she frequently demystifies some of the practical elements of leadership for women. I'm a real fan of her work on negotiation, and we might touch on that a little bit, but she's just done a lot of work over a long time, huge amounts of research to do what we love to hear about and read about, which is making sure that women have access to the tools, the techniques, and the support systems so that they can reach their full potential in organisations and beyond. So, Selena, I, as I said, am a real fan, but say we'd sat down at some lovely bar and we're about to order a cocktail and someone walked up to you and said, hi, who are you and what do you do? What would you say? Well, I have the pleasure to work on a mission that means a lot to me, and it's to help women and marginalized groups to really tap their confidence to carve out paths to leadership on their terms, not fitting some old mold, but doing it their way. And that's what I'd want to get across. Not so much the technical day-to-day, but that mission. I appreciate your mission. And what I really appreciate about it is that you're saying they can do it on their terms. When I first started work 947 years ago, I think about my parents, you know, you joined the company, whatever the company was, you progressed up the ladder. And that was kind of it, particularly my parents' generation. There was one employer for life for a lot of people with me it was you know climb the ladder but now it's it's just it's not that anymore and it's your own terms and I think what the interesting thing is about your work is really I don't like using the expression give permission but you're opening the door for women and other underrepresented folks to say you know what I can do this my way but here are the things I need to know Yes. And I'm such a believer in that, Michelle, that it can open your world up so much when you start to think everything is discussable. Everything is open to revision. Mm -hmm. Things aren't written in cement. I may not have to wait or settle or deal with suboptimal. And that's a real joy in the work I get to do is helping sometimes remind myself but also others that, wait, 
Maybe there's a conversation that could be had. Maybe there's a self-advocacy moment that might require some looking at your own confidence, um, Mm -hmm. some dealing with your own doubts sometimes, some looking objectively at your value that you bring. But um, I find that to be such an empowering realization, one that I need to keep waking up to over and over again. I had a conversation yesterday that was essentially the essence of what you've just said or the essence of who you are. And it was with a colleague of mine, and she's also a member of our amazing Lead to Soar community. We're both of a similar age, and we both said, gee, if only at the start of our careers in our 20s, we had women like us and like you to look to. And that's what you're trying to be, is to give people that North Star or that beacon on the hill to say, you can think about things differently and you're a great role model and lots and lots of information. So let's let's get into that. So the books, two books under your belt already and another one coming up. Tell us about this book that you just have to write or you had to write. Tell me why it has to be. <laughs> why did it have to be? Well, a few reasons. You know, the most central one personal. I have really struggled with confidence in my life, with self-doubt. I can think of just one of the juiciest opportunities that ever came my way, an opportunity to be a spokesperson for a global company I thought really highly of. And I lost it. I lost that opportunity because as some of the imposter feelings came up, you know, was I invited to this by mistake? Was this a fluke? I believed them. I kind of uh, didn't feel I belonged. And, you know, it was such a painful, instructive moment to have that experience and kind of give in to the self-doubt. You know, I don't belong here. I'm not experienced. I'm not leader-like enough to be here. And it stung. And I've had many of those in my life. That was a core reason But another was looking around as someone who works in leadership development, right, and trains people on advocating their needs, on speaking up boldly. I started to notice a real hit in confidence in the professionals around me. Some of the research shows this since the pandemic that half of job seekers don't feel there's a job for them, a little more than half of those same job seekers don't believe they'll be successful. So I think there's a a larger crisis of self-confidence from the pandemic that lots of people haven't just bounced back from, particularly if you felt job uncertainty and changes and like you didn't have control over something as important as your earnings and being able to make a living. Yeah, and and right now as we're recording, listeners, of course, we're watching, I'm watching with horror as some of the biggest companies in the world embark on their biggest layoffs, numbers of layoffs in the world, which is extraordinary to watch. And I've lived through a couple of major crises, including the GFC, the dot-com boom, bust, I should say, and, uh, of course, the late... 80s, early 90s, God, I am old, a stock market crash. So I've seen global conditions 
in business be really impacted and I've certainly seen people be affected by that in terms of jobs but I hadn't really thought about the pandemic in terms of confidence and I want to unashamedly bring a gender lens on it now Selena because clearly my mission is to close the global leadership gender gap. I'm wondering how gender plays a factor when it comes to confidence. And by the way, listeners, I should say the book that we're talking about is called Quick Confidence and I'm dying for my copy to come out, but it's released in May. That's right, May 9th. Mm -hmm. May 9th, that's right. So I'm wondering, you know, as women, we get told a lot to be more confident. (laughs) So I have been roundly critical of leaders who give advice like be more confident, step up, lean in, blah, 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 because that doesn't deal to the fact that there's a systemic issue around women's confidence. But what are your views? And I know you've done a bucket load of research here. How does gender play a role in confidence? Yeah, I think confidence is complex often when you're a woman because I think from a young age as girls, we are taught to temper our confidence with humility. You know, it's like, give me a teaspoon of sugar with that confidence to make it go down just so. And when a woman doesn't do that, what happens? She often gets blowback and it's like, well, who does she think she is? Or she gets called things like a queen bee, right? And some not very nice names when maybe you're unabashedly confident. And that's incredibly frustrating because of course, as a leader, you often need to be decisive, daring, the calm person in the face of uncertainty, right? So it's a real bind and catch 22, especially when you think about women leaders. And I sometimes say it's like we want women to be confident, but only if they apologize for it. And that's not right. Sadly, a very, very apt saying. And uh, what comes to mind right now is two world leaders that I admire in my region, Julia Gillard, the only woman Prime Minister of Australia, where I am based, and Jacinda Ardern, the most recent Prime Minister of New Zealand. And both of those women, extraordinarily self-assured and confident in their abilities. But gee whiz, they, they, like other women leaders, had to navigate that, but don't be too big, but don't be too small, but don't be too this, and, you know, and be patient and blah, 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 blah. So what do we do about that? And I guess how does quick confidence speak to that? Because I know there are, as much as I would love there never to be another podcast, keynote, leadership training session on how women can be more confident because I think it's bunkum. The truth is this is about navigating a system that expects us to be, as you said, confident with a teaspoon of sugar to make it go down. So what do we do about that? I think there's a few things. And I think you're right that that system exists that's going to maybe look at a male and presume he's intelligent. But with you, you know, make sure that it's proven time again, 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 and again before it's accepted that you bring that. It's incredibly frustrating. And I think one of the things we can do is be prepared 
to stoke our self-confidence, even when the conditions around us don't promote that and don't encourage it. I can think of a, a networking event I went to that I was very excited to go to with executives in my region. And I went into that event, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and eager. And it was so weird. It was as though like each couplet kind of turned away from me when I went up to them and toward each other, you know, toward the person they knew, kind of edging me out, icing me out. And it felt awful. You know, it really felt awful. And I had all those feelings of, oh, I don't belong here. I'm not as established as they are. Um, these people must know what they're doing. I don't, you know, I had all those moments. And I think all of us can feel that way when, again, the conditions, the people around us aren't necessarily encouraging and including and saying, yeah, come join us. So what do we do in those situations? I think there is an opportunity there to self-coach, to do some things to remind yourself of your value and bring some of that confidence back. So that's one thing I want to do is how can you belong even in situations that don't make you feel that way? As you were describing that situation, my mental map was just picturing exactly that situation when I remember going into one, which was in sport, male dominated. I came up an escalator and as the escalator got higher and higher, I just saw this sea of men, white men in blue and black suits and not a lot of women. I went, holy crap, I don't belong here. <laughs> and that closing of ranks. We have a funny saying in like a, an American kids program, one of these things is not like the others. And I always thought of that in situations, but you paint such a visual, such a powerful visual of yeah. ooh, otherness and how it can be daunting. Yeah, and, and I've said to women, particularly in the context of powerful strategic networking, you are going to confront these situations and you do need tools and tips. But I appreciate what you said about a bit of self-coaching as well, which is don't let that voice, the one that says you don't belong here, don't let that one win. So thank you very much for your feedback. Over you go, sit in the corner, thank you. And now I'm going to listen to the voice that's my coach. So what does she say to herself? So she speaks in the third person, and that's a tip I have for others is make it third person, give yourself a nickname, one you like. Some of my closest friends call me Sleens, you know, so I picture that inner coach voice saying, all right, Sleens, time out, kind of like Ted Lasso, you know? <laughs> yep. Listen, I know you're feeling really psyched out and like you regret walking in the doors of this place. But here's the thing. I don't want you to shrink. I don't want you to droop. I don't want you to low talk and just, you know, make the cautious eye contact. Claim your place. You belong here as much as they do. And how can we make the best of this? How can we get what we need today or make a connection with someone who is open? Like, how can I try again? And I think that's been really important for me in terms of lasting confidence. A lot of us can do something in the moment to kind of put the quick masquerade on and behave confidently in the job interview. 
it's not the same as really lasting confidence. And to me, that coach voice is a real differentiator because when you have that person on your side, there's almost nothing you can't handle, the good, the bad. So I like to ask people, you know, when you think of the best coaches, what do they do? How do they speak? You know, usually they point out the good. I like what you did back there, Michelle. That was a really good effort. I saw what you were trying to do, even when it didn't go perfectly. But also next time, why don't you try it like this? And boy, that has made a difference to retire my inner critic, who I named, by the way, Marjorie. <laughs> and again, I encourage people to name theirs and have a little fun with it. It's um, It can make a world of a difference. It does. I'm laughing because I have a great woman in my network whose name, I'm quoting her again, whose name is Jude, but she named her inner critic Judith. Oh, she's I love Judith. it. Judith, thank you very much, Judith. Go and sit down. One of the other pieces that I want to pull out there because it's so in line with our philosophy around not getting accomplishment amnesia. And my second part, which is stop, breathe, reflect. And part of that reflection is, I am entitled to be here. I have these accomplishments. I am a credible woman. But that self-coaching, that real process around self-coaching is very, very useful, Selena. So there's a tip, listeners. Stop, breathe, reflect. Now find your Ted Lasso <laughs> and find your inner coach. Find her, name her and ask her to, to coach you. And it's a very, very powerful thing to do because you are entitled to be there. You're as entitled as the next person, wherever there is, whether it's a meeting room, a networking event, somewhere where, you, as you said, Selena, you feel that otherness and that otherness, if you allow the otherness to win, I don't want to make it about winning and losing, but if you allow the otherness to prevail, it's going to squish you down and not allow you to play your game. Absolutely. And if I may, Michelle, it reminds me of a, a time I think that maybe some listeners can relate to, and maybe you too. But I think of a time where I was a younger entrepreneur negotiating a contract with a larger company. And I felt like the size of an action figure next to this boardroom right? Of like their 25 person legal team, I think it was, and me. And we all have those moments. Like you said, whether it's a job interview, a big presentation, talking about business outcomes in an important meeting. And one mantra I've repeated to myself that I'm not embellishing when I say has been life-changing for me is I 400% belong here. I have needed to take a bath in that mantra, like really soak myself in it. And I'm grateful. And I think when we're having those moments of, oh my goodness, one of these things is not like the others and it's me, having a go-to that rings true. I'm not talking about something so lofty that I just, that doesn't even sound believable to me, you know, but something that reminds you of something real and true has made a huge difference. And maybe for someone else, it's a different phrase. But I recommend 
thinking of that touchstone, you know, that you can go to because boy, it's made a difference for me walking into some of those mahogany boardrooms. Again, yes, I'm a very visual person. I just imagined it, you know, there's Selena on one side of the table and 25 lawyers on the other. And you do 400% belong here and you are entitled to be there. So great advice. Find that touchstone, find that mantra that really speaks to you. One of the things that might be useful when our listeners are thinking, what can I say to myself about myself that's really amazing, is to think about the nice things people have said, the compliments and the recognition. And often we deflect, oh, I'm not that good. Oh, it was nothing. And you talk about how deflecting can drain our confidence. What should we do instead? Yeah, it can deflect our confidence. It can drain our confidence when we don't accept those compliments. And I think there's a few things behind this. I think sometimes when we're dealing with lower self-confidence or esteem, what happens is somebody's positive words come in and they do not match up with our own self-view. And I think that causes some people to deflect or almost shut down the compliment, like, no, no, that's not what happened, you know, or something like that. I think the thing is, we are training people somewhat when they give us a compliment, what we're going to do with that, how we're going to take it. And in some cases, we're encouraging or discouraging them from doing it in the future. I want to say that to people just for added kind of context. Think about, is this making this person want to come back? Because sometimes when we do say, nope, absolutely not, any old person would have done the same. We're not exactly encouraging them to think of us for that compliment they've just given. Or it could also feel like we're undermining what they just said. You know, we're actually kind of putting a black line through it. Can you give an example of how to gracefully accept praise so that, number one, you're, you know, frankly, you're honoring yourself and your accomplishments and your efforts? And I I'm particularly want to bring this into a work context as well because we talk a lot about achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes for yourself, your teams, for your business. So, we want women to do that and be recognized for it. But if you get praise for it, we don't want you to bat it away. But what would be a good technique? Number one, that inner coach, I'm getting praise. Don't flick it away. That's, I think, number one. But what what other techniques do you suggest there? I think there's a few ways you can kind of like step into that spotlight and accept it, you know, kind of grab the ball instead of letting it fall on the ground. And so I think some of them have to do with not minimizing the compliments. So one thing people will sometimes say is no big deal. It was no big deal, please. Instead, what about saying, thanks, you know, I'm delighted with how the project came out too. Awesome. You're adding to their compliment. And in a sense, you are letting them in, you know, you're letting them know some of your emotions to do with this. But thanks, I'm delighted with how it turned out too, is one way you could pivot that minimization. It was nothing. 
another one I see is saying something like, oh, anybody would have done the same. Anyone would have stepped up and helped the client in that situation. That may be so, but it's not terribly helpful in this situation. And that's a hypothetical, right? Not exactly sound business speak or business language. So I think something as simple as thank you, your words mean a lot to me. Gee, isn't that simple? And it's really, as you said, it's encouraging the giver of the compliment to do it again because you've accepted it gracefully. Often the, the most powerful things are the most simple. So, And as someone who also perhaps might have struggled with accepting compliments and what have you, I'm this way I'm taking some lessons, which is awesome. I'm struggling, not struggling. I've got 20 million words trying to tumble out of my mouth at the same time because this is the playbook that we need, this practical playbook we need. Intellectually, we know we've got to play bigger. We have to appear confident, even perhaps, and our external confidence don't match one another. We're going to work on that. But I guess what I'm really appreciating about this, Selena, and obviously the, the book's going to be very useful in this, is giving women and others a playbook. When you're in this situation, do this. Rather than the, hey, you just need to be more confident. Oh, that's great. But what in goodness name do I have to do about that? So the, the situations that you've outlined, which I find come up time and time again, are very, very useful. But that the fact that we, when we bat away compliments, really it does damage. It damages us internally, our own self-worth, our own self-image, but it also says to the recipient that you don't really care about it. So this is great advice. I'm so glad. And if anybody wants to take that even a step further, one of the things I love hearing women, for example, say is something like, to a friend, a coworker, somebody they trust. Hey, can I share a quick win with you? Where you savor your win, you savor your accomplishment, right? It's not just in reaction to somebody else's gift they're giving you of a compliment, but where you give yourself license and permission to celebrate those wonderful moments. This is something we can normalize, by the way. You know, seeing more women do that because women are held to a standard of being modest and accommodating and don't be too big for your britches. A lot of these unhelpful stereotypes. So I think sometimes applauding it when we see a woman, I love the way you unapologetically just led that meeting and shared the accomplishments that our team achieved this last quarter. Celebrating people for that instead of Oh dear, that was a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't agree more. And we have two mechanisms in our community, in the lead to soar community. One is we really encourage our members to post an I did it, hashtag I did it, which is a, yeah, I nailed it. I nailed that presentation. I got the job. I whatever it may be. So we've got that and we really encourage our members to do that. And then on our live coaching calls, I often kick off with a, righto, I'd like to hear a boast. I want you to step into your greatness and tell us about something that you are really proud of. So again, normalizing, number one, thinking about yourself, thinking about your accomplishments, and then 
gracefully and authentically self-promoting, which is such a big, big deal for women. Yes, give yourself credit along the way for some of the ways you're trying to play bigger. It is not always going to go well. It is not always going to be the perfect outcome. I know that with writing Quick Confidence, this book, I had publisher rejections, right? And it sucked. I mean, it really stung. And in those moments, it was like, ah, is this confirmation that this shouldn't be, that I shouldn't do this? And yet we have to give ourselves credit. Look what I pushed here. Look what I was able to drive forward. Look what I'm trying to bring to life. So in so many ways, it's a reminder to me that I'm always the the student and the teacher when it comes to this. I am constantly learning. Sometimes we need the confidence to fight for our best ideas, to fight to bring something into reality. That was certainly the case here. But still, give yourself credit along the way, even when that negotiation doesn't go perfectly. But you asked or when you gave the big talk and the screen was glitching the entire time, or, you know, you did the big thing and played bigger. You have to recognize that effort and persistence in yourself. Yeah. And whilst his management style is probably out of vogue now, Jack Welsh used to say in the nineties, you got to step up to the plate and have a swing. Unless you step up to the plate, there's not a chance you're going to connect with that ball and hit a home run. So we've got to give ourselves a chance to step up to the plate. We are going to swing in this and that's life. And and the other analogy I use, particularly in group settings, is stand up if you as a little person got on a bike without trainer wheels and rode it the first time. And of course, I've had one person in my life and I went, oh, you're unusual. But anyway, so... Most of us had to get on, wobble, fall off, get on, wobble, fall off. Someone's helping us. Come on, you're doing really great. And to the point where we then mastered the skill, we've got to be kind to ourselves as we're mastering new skills. And I think that, gee, I'm glad I really had a good crack at that. I'm glad that despite the screen glitching or my Zoom cutting out mid-presentation, true story, listeners, true story, I just dialed back in and kept going because that's what happens, you know. I want to pick up on just something you you mentioned there before because I think this is another one that I have many, many women talk to me about. I keep getting talked over or dismissed or not paid attention to in the meetings or in the presentations And that can be a real blow. There can be a one-off or there can be that drip, 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 you know, the death of a thousand cuts. We know those microaggressions that happen all the time. That can really put a dent in a woman's confidence. And I'm really interested in a quick technique, well, two actually, probably to coach ourselves. This is them, not me. But also what do I do to insert myself into that conversation? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's unfortunate how common this is especially if you feel on the margins in a certain group, like you're not being seen and heard. And one way you can manage this, and it takes some intentionality, particularly, let's say, if you're more introverted or you're naturally maybe more soft-spoken, is let's say you get cut off and talked over. They've now moved on to a separate subject, like the train is going 60 miles an hour. 
you want to get back in. One of the things you can do is come back in one decibel higher than the flow of the conversation or than the flow of how you were just last speaking. So I'm not talking about yelling your way into that meeting and banging a gong or anything. No, but I mean, if you were at a six coming in at a seven, as you reinsert yourself, no, I really do think we should look at this vendor another time. And giving people that little tiny volume cue, which says it's time to listen, I have something to say. So I think that's a small thing we can do. I think another thing we can do is what I call the non judgmental observation. So without necessarily bringing a lot of heat or hearsay, really speaking to facts. You know, that's the third time, John, I've been cut off in today's meeting. I'd like to finish my point. And there's something really powerful to that when it's factual and it's clear. It's not like, I feel belittled by you. I mean, I think that can come, but I think starting with the facts and saying it's time to listen, I I need to finish my thought and I'm going to, is really important. So that non-judgmental observation can do a lot to open ears. I like that because I'm a sports nut, so I use a lot of sporting analogies. And in sporting terms, that's playing the ball, not the player. That's the third time you haven't passed the ball to me. That's right. And going back to our coach analogy, right? Wouldn't a good coach would call that out? They're not going to shut their eyes. 100%. They're going to call out a pattern that's not helpful. And I've noticed if you're getting nowhere with some of these things, encouraging your team to come up with meeting norms can be a wonderful thing. We know the same meeting behavior as, as excellent, maybe the same three components, but people have wildly different ideas about how to behave. I should be speaking up all the time. I should be quiet and listen. There are so many ways that I've found clients, my corporate clients, having a lot of success reimagining how do we want to show up in these meetings. And that can help you too to watch out for those over talkers and those negative patterns. There's a real call to action there for leaders, facilitators, chairs of meetings, We talk about being an inclusive leader, what part of being an inclusive leader and harnessing the power of the team, that collective wisdom around the table, is to pay attention to the three times that Selena's been interrupted and the fact that John is the serial interrupter, the fact that, you know, we're not giving everyone an opportunity to express their ideas their challenges in a way that suits their style and preferences. It's a real call to action here, leaders. If you want your the women in your teams to be more confident, have a look at the norms. As you said, Selena, create the norms. How are we going to show up? How are we going to honour everyone's knowledge and wisdom and experience and, and potential contribution to the outcomes that we can create? So I love the fact that you've got that call to action there. Now, I could keep talking to you. We could probably pricey the whole book here, but it would be a two and a half hour podcast, which we're women, we don't need to do that. So let's cut to the chase. Final thought for our listeners. 
And I know that's a big question around confidence and self-confidence. I think the theme here is that quick confidence, that quick coaching, that I am worthy. Tell us what's on your mind. Well, it's really to encourage anybody listening that no matter your starting place, you can make daily deposits in your confidence and do this. You can have lasting confidence. You can be a more confident person. And so know that, know that. I think one of the things I have noticed about the most confident people is that they tend to keep promises to themselves. So if they say, you know what, there's the opening for that VP role. And I am excited about it. It's making my pulse quick and I need to apply for that. They follow through. If it's something to do with self-care, I really need a rest. I am sick and tired of the hamster wheel I'm on and I am taking a half day on Friday. They follow through. And it's a little bit like when you have a like a lovable but flaky coworker, right? Who doesn't make good on their promises. You kind of stop expecting from them, you know, what they say they'll do. And that's not a relationship you want to set up with yourself if you want lasting confidence. So even if it requires you to shrink the number of promises you make to yourself, I'm going to put my name in the ring for this, or I'm going to work out at 5 p.m. or whatever it may be, by all means, shrink that number, but follow through on those promises, make good on them. They matter more than we think. So that's something I hope people will do. I love the fact that you you want us, each of us to take our inner flaky co-worker and say, it's time for you to move on. <laughs> now I'm going to get the right. person in here that I can really depend on. What great advice. Selena, we've covered a lot of territory today. And I know that Quick Confidence is the book you had to write. And I'm, as I said, cannot wait for it to come out and be able to read and dissect and discuss with our lead to soar community. But I think the, the the quick tips about particularly the, your inner coach, naming your inner critic and, and asking her to go and take a seat in the corner and be quiet, those techniques about networking and what you can do when you're being spoken over, all absolute gold. But importantly, they're not just the banal, be more confident, stuff that women are immersed in from really from the start of their careers. It's practical advice. It's the playbook about how we can be our own cheer squad and therefore start those wonderful habits to actually believe what's coming out of our own mouths. So well done to you. Tell us again, Quick Confidence released on the 9th of May. Where can we find you, get the book, all that kind of stuff? Well, thank you so much. Quick Confidence is due out May 9th, but it is available now for pre-order on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, anywhere you can find books. So I'd love for you to pre-order the book uh, for anybody listening and give me your feedback. Let me know about your confidence challenges and wins. I want to hear about them and savor those wins with you. Michelle, I want to just thank you for your talent and your commitment to what you do. It's a wonderful thing to see. Thank you, Selena. I really appreciate that compliment. I'm proud of the work I do too. There you go. See, that's how easy it is, listeners. (laughs) Beautifully done. (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, thank you for contributing to to the Lead to Soar podcast and, of course, to our Lead to Soar community. And we look forward to continuing to learn from you. Selena Rasvani, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to SOAR.